Hi, welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato, founder of Shovel the Sidewalk, a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York. We work with small businesses, help them uh, create their brands and their advertising, and we utilize authentic storytelling to help them get their stories out there. And uh, today, uh, we are really blessed to be joined by uh, Molly O'Malley Pittman. She is the owner of Sweet Charlotte's, a children's uh, activity center and preschool. And you don't have one story, you have like five. So, and they're all really important and I really appreciate you for being here and wanting to, uh, to share your story. So before we go into um, stories one through five, I actually have a sixth story which I just found out. You used to be in real estate and we're in the Shovel of the Sidewalk International Headquarters in Clarence, New York right now. <laughs> And you used to work out of here. I used to work out of here a very long time ago. How cool is that? Very cool. I really think it's very cool. So you were in real estate. Uh, so this, this uh, episode was meant to be, I guess. I believe it was. Um, so you were in real estate right in this building. Right in this building. Uh, signed a lot of contracts. Right on this table. On a ta well, probably a different similar, table. Similar, similar table. Yep. This is actually uh, an old living room table. It's very a great cool. conference room table. Very cool. Um, Okay, so, so you did that and you enjoyed real estate, I'm I assuming. You did it for, for, for 10 years. Um, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, Donovan. Is that when you, when, when did you decide real estate wasn't, the situation wasn't for you anymore and you moved into owning your own business? Is that how it got there? With a couple steps in between. Okay. I did sell real estate for about 10 years mm -hmm. and, and I did thoroughly enjoy it. It was a great time in my life. Um, newly married and... Uh, I'll just paint a picture for you. How about that? Yeah. Uh, I was doing an open house, and Donovan was just about 18 months old, 19 months old. Donovan is your son? Donovan is my yeah. son, and uh, Charlotte was just a baby. Okay. Charlotte so is your daughter? Charlotte is my daughter. They're 22 months apart, and Donovan is, we're in a lovely home right here in Clarence, and Donovan has got his hands all up on somebody's china cabinet, and I'm trying to, to feed a baby and welcome in people into an open house, and it became real apparent really quickly that I wasn't going to be able to juggle uh, a full-time real estate career and being the mom that I needed to be. Okay. So... So that puts you in where you decided you're going to mom first, which mom I'm first. assuming it was anyway. Yeah. Well, right? I, I, I looked at it as just, kind of a blessing because okay. when Donovan's diagnosis of autism came very shortly thereafter, that uh, scenario I just described, it was kind of a blessing because it was a no-brainer. It was mom first and foremost. So, and, and, and this is where the story, uh, so this is where the story led to the business, and we'll get to that in a minute. So Donovan, around two years old, mm -hmm. diagnosed with autism. Correct. What did that mean to you? Did you know anything about it? Did Nothing. you? Did, were there signs when he was one? Why was it when he was two? Um, well, it was when he was two because we were very fortunate that we had people in our lives that were in special education and um, most significantly our pediatrician who was a family friend. Uh, Donovan was developing as what you would consider to be neurotypical, normal, um, what we all look for in the appropriate milestones and uh, one day it just flipped like a light switch and any of the words that he had were lost, uh, eye contact, um, somebody had described it once as he was marching to his own tune and that was it. He just became um, removed and he wasn't part of our world anymore. So it was a, a real serious red flag and again another blessing in that we knew something was wrong um, and there was no real reason for it. No illness, no vaccination, no trauma, no change in our lifestyle. Um, it's, it's regressive autism, so, um, it's, so what does it's that unique. Mean? 
It means it, it started out, again, just as I said, mm -hmm. as being very typical and then something, there's just a, a pivotal point where they regress. And, and that diagnosis was always there. It's, he was born with it. Nothing really changed. It just presented itself as needing that label and needing that diagnosis. I'm assuming it's different for every... Different for person. every single child. I mean, if you think about children on the whole, all of them are so unique in who they are as individuals. Um, autism is no different. It is a spectrum disorder, very different for every single child. So here you are, the typical American family. You have it all. Um, and then you find out your child uh, has autism. And as a mother and the type A personality that you obviously are, what what happened? What happened to you, your husband? How did you guys, how did you deal? That's a tough, that's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, it, it, and it, we did not have to go through the process that a lot of families have to go through initially because of our relationship with the pediatrician. And in coming to him and saying, hey, this is a fear. This is a concern. It was an automatic, yep, you're right, you know, and I, I'll never forget, and I have it excuse me, writing autism on, on a script. This is the label, this is the diagnosis. That was a gift because that meant help please. I need help please. And so in that type A personality and knowing that we needed to do something, it was making sure that we had all the connections that we needed in place and we were able to secure uh, his first therapy the day after his second birthday. First. And I reference that all the time. So, all right, so um, what's his... It led also, you're an author, uh, a book, and I want to get to that too. What, what, what does he, now he's 16. 16. Um, talking was a problem. What, mm -hmm. what, is it still a problem? How does, what's, explain the, the process of what's happened from there and until now. Sure. First couple of years were very scary. Uh, we didn't know that he would ever speak. There are, is a high percentage of children with autism that do not speak. Um, and, you know, we're talking about 14 years ago that he did secure that first uh, lesson, that first therapy in his life. And it was um, our entire life for a good couple of years, two, three, four therapies a day, then a center-based program on top of two, three, four therapies a day once he got home. So it was intense. And um, there were very few moments where we really felt um, confident that he was going to find his words for a very long time. There, we really knew that it was going to be a miracle if in fact he did. And he did at the age of five and a half, almost six. And that's really where the business aspect kind of came into play. Um, we really credit his sister Charlotte with being that influence and really getting into his space, getting into his face and forcing that sibling peer interaction during play. Um, you know, a little bit different than when you're supposed to work or perform for an adult who's, you know, sitting you down and uh, making you work for it. And it's all a necessary part of the process. But my husband and I created a puzzle piece shaped lollipop to help support autism awareness. We used it as a fundraising tool, um, just a way to kind of speak to others about that hope, about that fight, about becoming empowered and advocating for your children, no matter what their label or diagnosis is or isn't. Um, so, you know, the, the business was just kind of um, an accident, if you will. Well, that's so... Charlotte, so what, if I'm hearing you right, you're, you're putting, giving a lot of credit to Charlotte to helping him because what she had, I, I read somewhere or maybe I heard something where 
she was asking you why doesn't I tell him I love him and he doesn't tell me I love you back. Yeah. And that's where that's where mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's where love without words comes through. That's correct. Come, comes through. And so tell explain that how that how that come about and um, how old was she when she was saying that? You know, she was, she was younger. She was so. younger. Yeah, she was probably around four, maybe yeah, three and a half, four years old, and it and it was troubling for her. I mean, it, you know, she wanted that again. She wanted that peer interaction. She wanted that that big brother, um, and she was part of it from from day one. And every therapy and every lesson, you know, going to the preschools, going to the doctor's appointments with me. So she she tried to wrap her little mind around it, but it was difficult for her. So yeah, it was that simple of a question. Mom, I'm telling Dom and I love him, and he's not saying he loves me back. And I had to think very quickly on my feet, and we were in the kitchen, and my dog was in front of me, my my chocolate lab. And I said, well, you know, Makio loves you. He brings you his toy. He licks you on the face. You can take him for walks, and he doesn't have words. And at that very young age, she asked me if Makio had autism. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, it was was really sweet, um, but it was really clear that it was about how we show one another that we love one another, that it wasn't about words or no words. It's in our everyday actions that we show each other that we love each other and care about one another. So the book um, in its very infant stage was really just meant to be a keepsake, was meant to just go into their, you know, their boxes that I have set aside for them when they're older and just say, look, you know, you, you loved each other once and they still love each other now at 14 and 16. But yeah, it evolved in a way that I never expected that it would. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and, and you were telling me uh, earlier that uh, so you took a bunch of photographs, family photographs, mm-hmm. laid them out because it's, it's illustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really well put together and well written. But the, photo, the, the actual illustrations are from photographs that you and your kids and your husband, your family mm-hmm. had laid out. And then your, you guys kind of picked the photos that, that he would illustrate. Correct. That, that is cool. So that way the, the kids were involved in the book itself. Yeah. When these, I've never written a book. I'm not an author. Uh, I envy you. I appreciate it. And I know this is hard work. Um, when those books arrived, what was that like? Better than Christmas. Yeah. A surreal experience. Truly a surreal experience. Um, because, you know, it, it is... It is a story that it, that should be and, and I hope will be shared with as many people as possible because it's not just about autism. It is about that unconditional, unspoken love. But this is our story. These are our babies. These are our moments. And so to see it come to life and to be able to speak to it and have it be so well received has been awesome. And that's actually why we chose to have the illustrator involved in taking those photographs and drawing them so beautifully. And he's a local um, artist as well, Jeffrey Perziak. Um, so that you know, families like your own could look at these images and, and hopefully relate that you know, maybe you went fishing with your kids or hung out on the hammock in the backyard. So um, you know, having that come to life pretty cool yeah that's cool it, it really is it's a book f- for all I, the reason I know about it is you know it made my wife cry when, when <laughs> she read it but it, it is it's really well done um, let's get to um, sweet Charlotte's now obviously Charlotte had something to do with the name of the business she did um, now did you do that I mean I would assume like any parent when your child 
if the child is sick, right? You're, oh my gosh, we gotta fix that child. You're, all your attention goes to it. In a situation with autism, you said, you know, you, I mean, you dove in head first. You had to go for it. You had to figure mm -hmm. out what to do, what's best for him. Was there, how did, how did you as a parent consciously also provide that emotional support for Charlotte at the same time? Um, just crediting her, just thanking her, just the positive reinforcement as she really does love. I mean, she is just the most empathetic, caring little creature with all human beings and animals. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it really was about creating something that was just for her. And as a very young girl, we got her involved in dance. Um, so that was very special for her. Um, a lot of mommy and me type trips. Um, but the lollipop, the story behind the lollipop is that we, he had a speech therapist who would come to the house and give him a little citrus candy or a little um, lemon or a little warhead spray. I mean, you think about drinking a glass of orange juice in the morning, it kind of like awakens your senses and you get ready to, to learn, you're attentive. So it was an orange flavored lollipop and we gave Charlotte the name. Um, that was the, the origination of the business, was the lollipop named Sweet Charlotte's, to, oh. to credit her. For so so what, what made you want, I mean, what, how did you decide, well, I should have this school, I mean, I should put this to, into, where into you, what it is now? Yeah, how does that happen? Yeah, organically, because okay. it definitely was not my, my dream. It, it, it really wasn't. I didn't even, not because I don't love every second of it, please don't misunderstand, because I didn't think about it before it happened. I happened to be driving past the building that I am now in in Clarence. Um, I live out in that direction. And a gentleman that I actually sold real estate with right here in this office had his name on the property. And I called him and said, hey, what's going on over there? And uh, he said, well, what would you do with it? Well, I really didn't know at that time. And I had to make sure that it was personal and I had to make sure that it was purposeful. And so I went back to those couple of years of my early parenting and I wanted to fill the void of what I did not have. And what I did not have was a place where both of my children can go at the same time and be safe and comfortable and loved and nurtured and celebrated. And so at that point, you know, selling the lollipop and my husband's working two jobs to make ends meet and that I can continue to do what I'm doing. Um, I couldn't take the name away from Charlotte, right? I had already had somewhat of a, um, a, a presence or a voice in the special needs community and so it had to evolve and it had to have that, that same name. So, I mean, th this is for all children because it's not just uh, special needs children or nope. anything like that. Um, how, and you have... Um, I don't know what they would be called. The teachers there? Did you? Mm -hmm. uh, so how how many? How big are we talking now? How many kids do you have going there? How many? Sure. So from the play space that opened up seven years ago, we started our integrated preschool program. It'll be going in our fifth year. And in that preschool program, we have 38 children and we have a third of them that have uh, the need for services and supports. So we work very closely with the districts surrounding in the, in the area here, primarily Clarence, some Williamsville, some Lancaster, Akron, um, that work to orchestrate all of the services that they need right there out of the school. I have a wonderful team of passionate, beautiful women um, who do things that I'm in awe of every single day, and uh, that number is 10 now. Huh. That's a lot. It's a lot. So look, um, one of the things you, you did tell me before is I'm not, and 
I mean, to me, you're an autism expert, but you're not professionally or legally an autism expert. You're an expert because of your life experience Correct. with it, right? Yeah. What, you know, what would you say, what do you want to say to a parent who maybe their child was diagnosed recently, or maybe they're in that one year where they're, it's, it's that battle and they still don't have it grasped yet. What do you want to tell parents? That it's hard that it's hard and you're gonna to have to own the fact that it's really hard, but it gets better. It gets better every day with the right services and supports. So you have to take that energy that can sometimes be negative and daunting and overwhelming, and you need to work really, really hard to have that translate into empowerment and a fight. And it doesn't have to be a fight where you know it's, it's ugly or angry, but a mission. And that mission is to get as well educated and as empowered as you possibly can because in that you will see miracles. And you do need to believe it. You do need to hold on to hope. And it can be the smallest of moments, but in having a special needs child, you celebrate those moments like you've never celebrated anything before in your life. What's, what's inspiring to me about you and your stories um, is how you turn everything into, I don't know if it's into, into action or a mission or it, 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 like you turn a negative into a purpose. Um, you know, if, if this wasn't enough and it's, it's a lot for a lot of families to, to deal with that, you know, the Huntington disease is something that's, that's in your family. Um, you've lost 11 family members to this disease. It's an awful disease and it's terminal. There is no cure. Um, who's, I know you've lost siblings, you've lost nephews or nieces, mm -hmm. you've lost... I've lost nieces, parent. cousins, my father, um, uncles, aunt, grandmother. Um, I mean, you've been dealing with this your entire life then. Yeah. I mean, really. Uh -huh. The little I know about the disease, I guess it's different from everybody, but right, you sometimes, it just... Um, you may not be diagnosed until you're 20 30s. or 30, right? It there's mean... there's Huntington's disease and then there's juvenile um, Huntington's disease. Okay. And so I've, I've seen it work both ways. Um, my father was 44 um, when he passed. He was in his 30s when he was diagnosed. Um, I have a sister who was uh, 24 when she died. So she had juvenile diabetes. So, juvenile Huntington's. Huntington's, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. I have a little girl with juvenile diabetes in my preschool program. My yeah. mind may have gone there. I apologize. Um, juvenile Huntington's disease. Um, she was 24. My brother was 32. The brother that I lost this past April was um, 43. Yeah. So, so what does that mean for... So it's in the blood somewhere. It's going to so be... So my right? dad was one of seven. Five are gone. And one of seven. He was one of seven children. Mm-hmm. And so five of the seven children Correct. passed from the disease? Correct. I am one of five, um, and having lost those three, um, there is myself and my sister. We are both okay. We do not have the, the disease. We will not pass it on to our children. So, so the testing, but so you, they weren't diagnosed till their 20s or 30s. Can you be diagnosed at 50 and 60 and 70 or no? Could it still come? How do you know you won't have it? Well, you, you can go and get tested. So you just get, you constantly get tested? No, if you don't have it, you don't have it. I'm sorry. I yeah, see. to better answer so your question. So once you know, so you could you, have you been don't... tested when you're three and they know you're going to, but you Correct. might not, it might not come out until, until if, later. If, if, you, if you're, you're either born with it or you are not. Got it. 
okay, let me ask you, this is, this is a tough one. I'm sure you've been, uh, have people talked to you? I mean, you decided to move forward and have children. Was there a chance that that disease could be passed on yep. to your children? Sure was. So what was the thought process with you and your husband? Did you talk about it before? You know? Yeah, I, you know, before we got married, we actually um, talked about not wanting to have children for different reasons. We wanted to be selfish. We wanted to travel. We wanted to do life. And we both came from large families and were blessed with nieces and nephews and thought, eh, we'll just spoil them. It wasn't until Katie died at the age of 24 and we had been married for two years um, that I decided that I needed to have children because life is that short and that um, I needed to love. And none of us have any guarantees, not a single one of us. So, you know, we all have plans and that's all well and good, but you have to be flexible and know how to adapt, and, and, and that's what we did. My, my desire to live life and to not deprive myself of the, the beautiful thing of having children um, it just, it just trumped any old thoughts that the old Molly had. Um, and honestly, you know, the question has been asked year after year and time after time. Um, I, I, I hear it come back up again, and it's, you know, why should we have been deprived, right? My, my parents chose to have us. They didn't know it was, it was a crapshoot. They would have never known that they were going to lose. My dad passed before anybody, but uh, they, they wouldn't have known that they were going to lose those three children. But as tragic it has, as it has been, like which one of us would they not have had? And losing them at the young ages has been devastating and uh, we're forever changed. But man, I'm so glad that I had them for the time that I had them. Is your mom... My mom Still, is here. So how is she? I mean, she's lost three children. Losing one is enough. Yeah, it's devastating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how, um, but now this is what I mean about you take something and you turned it into like a positive admission. You just, a lot of people would look at it and say, oh my gosh, I just you've lost 11 people. <laughs> you've lost three siblings. But you just turned it around. Is that conscious? You just turned around and said, but... If I never had them in the first place, I would never have the opportunity to, to, to love them and know them and be yeah. with them and learn from them. Yeah. Is that, I mean, that's not natural. To me, yet that took some thought. Is, did you purposely go that way? How, how do you I, do I that? have to. I have to. It's, 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 um, it is physical. Like I can feel kind of a transformation when I am answering your question that way. I can feel the energy. Um, it's, it's survival. I mean, I really look at it like it is black and white. I am either going to stay in bed every day, all day, and woe is me, or I'm going to do something. And, 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 and being around tragedy and loss and, and challenge for most of my life, I feel like, you know, I have to have a purpose here. I have to have a purpose here. And, and so I'm going to opt to live my life. And you know what the reality of it is? I have two children who need me, and I have a husband who needs me. And so I can't take away from their life by choosing not to live mine, right? Yeah. It's and just the, a choice. And now you have all these kids, too. And I have all these kids. I have all these kids. Are you going to write more books? I would love to write more books. I would love to? to have more conversations. Yeah, I'm going to write more books. Good. You should. <laughs> so those kids, those families need you too, right? Yeah, you know what? I've got the greatest job in the whole wide world, and it's so cool. It's really, really awesome to, to be Miss Molly and to, to be in a place where I can welcome in children and families and feel like I may just be making a difference and I may just be the luckiest woman in the world. All right, so um, 
a lot of people, a lot of people uh, are in pain, whether it's mental or physical, um, whether it's their own physical pain or a loved one's pain. Um, I, I seriously, people could say, "Well, look at her. I mean, look what she's going through and what she's gone through." Um, what another piece of advice from you? How can you? What can people do? How can you help someone that is? Um, you know, going through going through real difficult times. What, what what's your advice? Yeah. So I mean, it's it's easier said than done, right? I mean, my mind automatically jumps to find your purpose, but sometimes that's hard because I didn't know that what I'm doing now was going to be my purpose. But it's finding that morsel, and it can be a morsel of what makes you happy. What makes you happy? So for me, it was it was my family. And it started with how am I going to help Donovan and how I'm going to make sure that Charlotte doesn't get lost in that and how am I going to make sure that I'm still a good wife through the whole process, right? So that love of my little family of four was my morsel. And then it just kind of evolved. I tell my children every day, you can have the lousiest, most miserable, horrible day, but something was good. One thing was good. Today, this is my morsel. Today, this is my good. I'm going to leave here feeling like a million bucks. I'm going to talk about how beautiful you all were to receive me and let me share my story. In the darkest moments, you still have something to live for. You still have something to live for. Ah, you're, you're really an inspiration. Um, I appreciate you very much. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your stories. Um, if um, anyone wants more information about Sweet Charlotte's or, um, or what about the book? Where can they get the book? Uh, right through my website, sweetcharlottes.org. Okay. You can email me at sweetcharlottes.yahoo.com. You can find Email me at sweetcharlottes.yahoo.com. Website is sweetcharlottes.org. You got it. Uh, I could find out about the book. I could find out about getting my child into there. Um, I could find out about the future books you're going to write about. Sure. Um, are there any other um, platforms you use uh, to spread some of, some of your messaging, which I think uh, is Instagram. Really, Instagram. Thank you. Instagram and Facebook. Okay, mm -hmm. they can find you on Instagram they and sure Facebook. Can. Okay, would it be under your name or is it under Sweet Charlotte's? Sweet Charlotte's. All right, Sweet Charlotte's it is. Inspirational, uh, incredible. You're, you're a great woman. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate what you, you do. Thank you. Appreciate what you do for your family and what you're doing for all these other families too. Thank you. Um, that's it for this uh, episode of Sidewalk Talk. Any other episodes, if you want to watch them, you can watch them uh, uh, at sh shovelthesidewalk.com. Uh, they're all um, listed there. You can um, also go to our website, uh, shovelthesidewalk.com. If you would like to be a guest on the show, and if you have a story that you want to share that you think it could help others in the Western New York community, whether it's in business or in personal life, uh, email us uh, from the website, and we'll be sure to help you tell your story as well. That's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Steve Fortunato.